Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is October the 28th, 2022. Happy to join you. Glad you're joining me. Boy, oh boy, there is so much to talk about. Never enough time. Um, But as we contemplate who we're going to vote for, um, I thought it might be interesting to consider a quote from President George Washington, America's first president. Um, He certainly had an interesting take on political parties. You know, I I keep making the point that we got into the messes, and there are many of them, because of both parties. Uh, What the Democrats have turned into is reprehensible. I say this as a lifelong Democrat. Uh, I am beside myself over what happened to that party, the party of Harry Truman and John F. Kennedy, Uh, They would not recognize this party. They'd probably not recognize our country either. I'm a Democrat, at least registered as a Democrat, because I've always been a labor guy. My dad was a construction worker, a tradesman, and they are the backbone of America, blue collar. Without them, we'd be living under shade trees or in caves. Think of all of the jobs done by tradesmen and engineers whether it's building houses, roads, airplanes, cars, you name it. Without them, we would be up the creek with no paddle. Um, And yet, we hear about the jobs that Americans won't do and all the other fantasies. In the old days, the Democrat Party was the firewall that opposed massive immigration to make certain to protect the jobs and wages of American workers. Very simple concept. During the Depression, it was President Franklin Delano Roosevelt who emphasized the need for effective immigration law enforcement to make certain that American workers would not have to compete with or be displaced by foreign workers. That's not xenophobia. That's common sense. We don't share our meals with burglars, okay? That's why we put locks on our doors, not because we're nasty and mean-spirited, but because We have a right to defend ourselves and our families, as do every country on the planet. It's called sovereignty. Many countries refer to their military as their self-defense forces. We refer to the Department of Defense. We're supposed to defend ourselves. What a novel thought. But George Washington understood the danger inherent in political parties. Believe it or not, he opposed the parties. The only parties that I guess he would have liked would have probably involved beer and music, okay? Political parties are a problem because the people in politics have to toe the line, and that line is drawn by the parties, whichever party it is. You cannot be a slave to two masters. Leads the door open to lobbying and all kinds of chicanery. So let me start out by reading George Washington's quote, from his farewell address where he talked briefly about the dangers of political parties. These are his words now. 
<clears throat> However, and then in parenthesis, it's political parties, because it was referencing what he apparently had said previously. However, political parties may now and then answer popular ends. They are likely in the course of time and things to become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people, to usurp for themselves the reins of government, destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust dominion. Wow. <clears throat> he must have had a crystal ball. Isn't that what we're witnessing? The emphasis on the Mexican border by both parties, by the so-called journalists, when, as I wrote in a recent article for Front Page Magazine, as bad as that Mexican border is, as dangerous as it is, as harmful as it is, the way it now stands, uh, it's only the tip of Biden's immigration iceberg. We have a northern border. We have coastlines. We have international airports. There's a lot of moving parts to the immigration system, but we're being told, ignore everything, just focus on the Mexican border. Fentanyl's pouring across the Mexican border. It's also coming in through Canada, through the airports, along our coastline, at seaports. <clears throat> Is the fentanyl and other drugs coming into the country from Canada or these other methods of entry less dangerous or deadly than the drugs pouring in across the Mexican border? That's a ridiculous question. Of course not. But then why are we being told, just focus on the Mexican border? Because the push is going to come where the politicians are going to get together. They're going to collude with each other, both parties, just like tag team wrestling. You know, you think they're killing each other, but they go out and have dinner afterwards. Uh, and they're going to tell you, we're here to get some Pelosi and some Republicans. But once we secure that Mexican border, then we can give lawful status to the aliens who are already here. With what mechanism? An agency that is falling apart, that is overburdened, that is overwhelmed, that don't have the resources. And why would we do it? You don't give somebody the deed to the property when they break into your home or when they trespass on the land. It doesn't work that way. And once we secure the Mexican border, then the sun will shine? Really? What agency is going to adjudicate the applications for various immigration benefits, including legalization? It's not the Border Patrol, and yet that's all we're hearing from most Republicans. We don't need 87,000 internal revenue agents. We need 87,000 Border Patrol agents. Well, I've written about it. What we really need are 87,000 ICE agents, interior enforcement. They don't want interior enforcement. Why? Because then you're not only going to find illegal aliens, you're going to find the crooked lawyers and crooked employers. Think of the conflict of interest. Think of where we are. Think of the corruption. The biggest issue we face is interior enforcement because once in the country, these aliens are able to get lawful status or at the very least hide easily in sanctuary cities. They have nothing to hide from, of course, with the Biden administration that has all but shut down interior enforcement. But that's the key. Go back to the 9-11 Commission report. It was crystal clear about border security, interior enforcement, immigration fraud, the way the terrorists entered the country and embedded themselves, and not just on 9-11. <clears throat> they looked at terrorists going back 10 years prior to 9-11. And the biggest issue was immigration fraud. In fact, the first time that I testified before a congressional hearing 
was way back on May 20th, 1997, four and a half years before 9-11. That hearing was predicated on two terror attacks carried out inside the United States in 1993 by aliens who'd come to this country from the Middle East. There was a shooting at the CIA where agents were killed. There was a bombing at the Trade Center. Six people killed, over a 1,000 injured, a half million in damages. And the attacks had in common. These were aliens, as it turned out, from the Middle East, and they had all, in one way or the other, gamed the immigration system, lied about their identities, lied about their connections to terrorism, made false claims for political asylum. So we know where the vulnerabilities are. Pardon me. Forgive me. I seem to have a frog in my throat this evening. Now, We've seen what this administration has done. I've written extensively about the head of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, who has blatantly stated that under him there would be no meaningful actions taken against aliens who lie on applications for U.S. citizenship. He said, once you're an American, we're going to protect you. Tell that to the Internal Revenue Service, right? But an alien who lies about a material fact to acquire citizenship is not entitled to citizenship and can lose citizenship because that is called immigration fraud. If all of the material facts were known, the alien would not have qualified. And if that lie is found out, then the law says that they are to lose their citizenship and they could be prosecuted and spend, I believe, up to 15 years in jail. These aren't minor crimes, and that's the other nonsense we keep hearing. Oh, immigration law violations, it's all administrative law. No, it's not. The immigration laws are divided into two parts, administrative laws and criminal laws. Administratively, if an alien is here illegally, violates laws, administratively they can be hit with a small fine, inconsequential, and ultimately deported. That's the biggie, removed from the United States. We can strip them of ill-gotten lawful status, or if they came in and got a green card or another visa and they get convicted of committing crimes, we are then able to strip them of that lawful status and deport them. This is to protect Americans and to protect America and to protect the immigrant communities where they live. That's the administrative side. Criminally, however, it's like any other crime. An alien who lies on an application for a visa is committing a felony that calls for 15 years in jail. If it's to commit another crime in conjunction, like come to America, get a visa, to rob a bank, then the penalty goes to, uh, I'm sorry, it starts at 10 years, 15 years if it's to commit a crime, 20 years if the crime involves narcotics, and 25 years in jail if it's to support terrorism. That's not administrative, that's criminal law. 25 years at a federal penitentiary is not the penalty you expect to give to somebody who jaywalks. But again, it's the lies that we're being told, the American people are being told, by the politicians who've turned the immigration system into a delivery system. And it's ironic, because the Labor Department under Roosevelt initially, um, the Labor Department ran immigration to protect jobs and wages of Americans. And then after World War II got revved up, they moved immigration to the Justice Department because it was recognized that saboteurs from the Axis powers Uh, whether it was Japan, whether it was Germany, would want to come to America to carry out acts of sabotage, not unlike the concerns we have about terrorists today. So 
and the shakeup of the government, immigration went from labor to the Justice Department, and the idea was to protect national security. After 9-11, immigration was moved to the Department of Homeland Security. They didn't move it to fish and wildlife because the understanding was this is national security. The 9-11 Commission made it crystal clear that without multiple failures of the immigration system, the terrorists could not have entered the country and could not have embedded themselves in the country, and therefore the attacks of 9-11 could not have happened. 9-11 is directly related to failures, multiple failures of the immigration system. Very clear. And George W. Bush, think about what Washington said, created DHS in a fatally flawed way. They were never supposed to cut immigration in half between Customs and Border Protection and ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Cutting it in half made it completely unwieldy, and then Bush wasn't done with the destruction. He folded in a whole bunch of other agencies, Customs and TSA and you name it, agriculture all got blended in and then most of the people who put in key positions of leadership had zero immigration background under bush and please don't tell me he was a neocon at the time he was the president of the united states and the leader of the republican party i don't want to give any politician or any party excuses they have an obligation to support the constitution protect america and americans period full stop and that oath of office is very similar to the oaths taken by civil servants, members of the military, and law enforcement. And the laws of the Constitution are not a menu. It's not like going to a restaurant and saying, you know, I think I'm going to have soup because I don't like the salad. Or I think I'm going to have the salad because the soup of the day isn't to my liking. No, it doesn't work that way. You sign up for the whole deal. You will defend the Constitution. Period. No equivocation, no ands, ands, or buts. Same thing with the laws. As an agent, I didn't have the right to say, I don't like this law and I don't like that law, so I won't enforce. It doesn't work that way. If in good conscience you can't enforce the laws objectively, then you shouldn't be taking the job. A person that doesn't like the sight of blood should not become a surgeon. Common sense. A person who is unable execute the office of a law enforcement officer and objectively and dispassionately enforce the law shouldn't be in law enforcement. Find another way to make a living. You have an obligation. You take an oath, you have to live up to the oath. Immigration fraud was the issue. And what's remarkable is that if you look at what happened in Afghanistan, and please go to my articles at Front Page Magazine, and I hope you'll share them with as many of your friends as you can, especially the people who disagree with you. We need to have an honest conversation. I, I, I am thrilled to death that Elon Musk, um, you know, is now the head of uh, Twitter. I, I, I love the visual of him walking into the lobby with the sink so that it would sink in that he's running the show. First Amendment protects everybody. The yo-yos who don't like the First Amendment think they're large and in charge. Well, at some point, the worm turns. At some point, someone's going to say to them, shut up, you're not allowed to talk. And what are they going to do, run for a comfort pillow? The idea of the First Amendment, and, and this is what true liberals are supposed to be, and I keep making the point that the Democrat Party is not compiled or led by liberals. I was raised to be a liberal. I raised my kids to be a liberal. If you look up liberal, it's a person who accepts the idea that everyone is entitled to his or her opinion, and they must have the opportunity to speak, 
and they should be respected even when you disagree with them, unless they're, they're calling for violence or whatever. That's a whole other story. That's the equivalent of crying fire in a crowded theater when there is no fire. But I don't care if it's abortion. I don't care if it's school prayer. I don't care what it is. We are entitled to our opinion, and we have every right to articulate our ideas in the public square so we can debate them. If, God forbid, uh, we find we have a serious medical issue. I, I had prostate cancer over 20 years ago. My own doctor, who was a leading surgeon and one of the researchers who devised the PSA test, if you want to talk about top draw, this guy was the top of the top. First thing he said to me is, Mr. Cutler, I think I could save your life. But I want you, before you agree to have me take care of you, seek out at least one second opinion so that you're satisfied you're making the right decision. Think about that. That's what we're talking about, second and third opinions. Follow the science's bunk. Science isn't carved in stone. Science is a methodology of getting to the truth. You come up with a hypothesis to try to explain phenomenon, and then you conduct experiments to see if you can validate the theory that you came up with to explain the phenomenon, whether it's gravity, whatever it is. <clears throat> and through experimentation, you either prove to a point that you got it right, or you see where you got it wrong, or you start all over again. Science is the ongoing, continuous quest for truth and knowledge. When someone says, follow the science, it's not carved in stone. It's a methodology to get to the truth and to get to the, to the facts, to have an understanding. That's what it's supposed to be. And so it's remarkable that if you dare suggest that we enforce our laws and secure the borders, what are we told? Oh, you're anti-immigrant. No, I'm not. The most likely victims of criminal aliens are members of the ethnic immigrant communities. And I know this from firsthand experience, having been an agent with the INS for 26 years. And before that, I was an inspector at the airport for, for the old INS. I spent two years in adjudications office where I took the grand tour. And most of the time when violence occurs at the hands of transnational gangs, it's members of the ethnic immigrant community most likely to suffer the violence. Not just from Latin America, but from all over the world. Asian organized crime, the Jamaican drug posses, the Israelis, the Russians, you name the flavor. Why? Because human nature is human nature. <clears throat> so this is universal. And you would have thought that after 9-11, and the 9-11 Commission came up with their findings and talked about border security, talked about immigration fraud, all those issues, that everyone would have been in agreement and said, yep, we're going to have to do it. We're going to have to bite the bullet and do what they tell us. And, you know, I testified before a whole bunch of congressional hearings in the House and Senate. I provided testimony to the 9-11 Commission. And shortly after 9-11, uh, my phone was ringing off the hook. We need you for this hearing and that hearing and another hearing and this committee and that subcommittee. Uh, one day I actually did two hearings on the same day and two, before two different subcommittees. And we were all pretty much on the same page, secure the border, enforce the law. Sheila Jackson Lee actually criticized George W. Bush but not um, buying all of the detention spaces. The Congress gave them money to uh, pick up something like 1,700 detention beds each year. I'm sorry, they gave them enough money to, to get 8,000. He cut it to 1,700. 
They gave him enough money to hire 800 new ICE agents. He cut it to 143. They gave him enough money to hire 2,000 more Border Patrol agents that year. In the next four years, he cut that to 210. And Sheila Jackson Lee was literally beside herself, as were the Republicans. It was mostly the Republicans who called me to testify to offer a counterpoint to the insanity of the Bush administration, George W. Bush. We were on the same page. America was under attack. We needed to do what we needed to do. Then all of a sudden, it was as though someone had flipped a switch. And here we are. And here we are. You've got Mayorkas, who was the head of citizenship and immigration services under Obama, ordering his people to approve petitions for visas that never should have been approved. <clears throat> Even when the FBI warned him about labor visas, EB-5 treaty investor visas, that had a link to a potential Iranian terrorist group. They said, you can't approve these visas. It's dangerous to national security. And he basically told the FBI to go to hell in order that the visas be approved. And then he goes on to become the head of Homeland Security and proclaims that they will not pursue immigration fraud. <clears throat> so I, I ran across the story. Robert Spencer also writes for Front Page Magazine, as I do. And he had an article up about a terrorist in Kansas City, actually a translator, who was found to have been involved with ISIS. And he did a good job on the article, but he missed a couple of points. And I'm actually going to write about this. And I, and I want to give you a sneak preview, because most people don't understand how sensitive a job translators have, because this guy was a translator. Let me read to you, in fact, <clears throat> this is from the American Military News. Let me just do this. The headline, Kansas City man who worked for the DOD, Department of Defense, lied about contacts with ISIS recruiters, according to authorities. And it went on and said, a Kansas City area man once employed under a contract as a translator in Afghanistan for the U.S. Department of Defense is accused of lying about his contacts with two recruiters aligned with the ISIS group that was responsible for the bombing at Kabul Airport in August of 2021, which killed 13 American service members. <clears throat> Pardon me. Wow, I feel terrible. Let me grab a drink here. Hopefully that'll solve the problem. So it goes on and says, Mohammed Rafi Mohammadi was arrested on Sunday in Kansas City as part of an investigation led by the FBI's local field office. He faces one charge in the U.S. District of Kansas for making a false statement in reference to obtaining a security clearance, a crime that carries a maximum penalty of five years in a federal prison. According to an affidavit filed in the case by an FBI agent, Mohammadi sought that clearance for work as the contract linguist and answered a question falsely on a federal form in August 2019. On that document, Mohammadi denied ever associating with anyone involved in activities to further terrorism. And it goes on. <clears throat> well, apparently, he was working with people from ISIS. In fact, um, according to an affidavit filed in the case by an FBI agent, Mohammadi, uh, well, I just read this to you, forgive me. Uh, before then, the FBI and federal prosecutors alleged that Mohammadi sought to provide support for two people who were actively seeking to recruit and train members of ISIS-K, a division of the terrorist organization, Centered in Afghanistan's Khorasan province, investigators based their conclusions in part on a review of Mohammadi's public Facebook posts, social media messages, 
and statements that he allegedly made to a confidential informant in 2021. Mohammadi was also interviewed by the FBI in early October. Among the evidence referenced in support of the criminal charge are records obtained from Western Union that allegedly show Mohammadi wired $2,000 from a branch in Lenexa to a person in Afghanistan with the aim of having $400 given to an ISIS-K recruiter identified as individual number one in May of 2018. Authorities allege that Mohammadi also shared Facebook posts around the time concerning the person's arrest by Afghani National Security Forces. <clears throat> in October 2019, Mohammadi was deployed to Afghanistan to work as a linguist. He was allegedly caught sneaking back onto a military base following the month after he left without official permission. Well, he's one of many translators that we've seen engage in this kind of a duplicitous activity. There's no mention about his own immigration status. Is he an American citizen? Does he have a green card? Did he come here as a refugee? We have no clue according to what is being reported. Rolling Stone, interestingly, covered the same story, and they stated that they reached out to the Justice Department, but the Justice Department failed to respond in time for publication. Now, here's something else that's really disturbing. Usually, a case like this, where a suspected terror suspect is arrested and is being prosecuted, it would be the subject of the Department of Justice press release. You see it all the time. They tell you what they are doing to protect America. Well, if you try, you can't find a press release by the Justice Department, because I did. I put his name in, nothing. Rolling Stone asked DOJ for a statement, and they come up with nothing. It would appear that the Biden administration wants to sweep this case under the rug. Why? Why? And why is there no mention of this guy's immigration status? Now, I'll tell you why that's important. Because if he has a green card and he's convicted, we can deport him when he gets out of jail. He got citizenship by concealing involvement with terrorism or lying on other material facts. We could strip him of his citizenship. He could do time for that crime, and then we could deport him. But remember what Mayorkas said. We will not take action against aliens who lie on applications for U.S. citizenship. So we're not even sure what this guy's immigration status is. And how was he vetted? Did anybody go beyond the application that he filled out? Or did they just look at the application to make sure that all the checks were in the right boxes? Yes to this one, no to that one, yes to this one, yes to that one, and no to the other question. Is that the way they did it? Or did anybody actually go out there and conduct interviews? <clears throat> Let me tell you what most people don't understand about translators. I worked with many translators as an immigration agent because as an immigration agent, I dealt with people who came from all over the world. Uh, and so I did not have the language skills I would have needed to interview such people. So we rely on translators, on interpreters. Now, that's really important. Because the interpreter becomes the eyes, ears, and mouth of both people in the conversation. The interpreter knows who the informants are. The interpreter has access to classified documents frequently. Again, that interpreter acts as the mouth, eyes, and ears of the agent and of the person being questioned. He or she is there doing the back and forth. He said this, and you said that, and, and so forth. It's a very sensitive job. If you have an interpreter 
who is hostile to the United States, they can lie about what the person that you're questioning has just said. They also know who the person is. If the guy becomes an informant, this endangers that informant's life because now everybody on the other side knows this guy is an informant trying to help America. The agent is at risk because now the translator, the interpreter, knows who the agent is, may know about ongoing operations by the nature of the questions and the conversations that are ongoing. That's how critical this is. And we've seen this time and time and time again. Now, I wrote an article about how we had left Afghanistan and wound up with a real mess. We had people that were stranded who should have been let out, and we had people allowed to enter the United States who posed a threat to our national security. It was an absolute disaster. But, of course, Mayorkas and company said, no, 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 we're screening these people. We know who we're dealing with. Well, I, I wrote an article about this lunacy. Um, and, and in my article, I, I noted how dangerous this whole process was because we have no idea who in the world we're dealing with. And, and so, um, in fact, let me, let me pull up the article that I did. Bear with me one moment. Because this is really critical. Because when you put this into context with what Mayorkas had said, that they will not pursue immigration fraud, that's scary. So on June 21st of this year, I wrote an article providing former Taliban associates with visas and asylum. And what I noted was that there was a June 14, 2022 report in the Los Angeles Times uh, the article was entitled, Some Afghan Refugees Now Have a Chance to Avoid Terrorism De Designation That Blocked Their Path to the United States. Think about that. They weren't to be let in because they were associated with the terrorists, with the Taliban, and somehow the administration said, no, 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 that's okay, we can let them in. And, and here's how the report in the Los Angeles Times began. Doctors, teachers, engineers, and other Afghans who were forced to associate with the Taliban will now have a chance at asylum or visas after the Biden administration loosened the terrorism-related designation on Tuesday, according to government officials and documents reviewed by the Los Angeles Times. Does that not give you cause for pause? The exemption will be applied on a case-by-case -case basis after security vetting and it is expected to help Afghans who fled their country after the U.S. troops withdrew and the Taliban took over last August, as well as some Afghans who entered the United States earlier, um, said officials from the Department of Homeland Security, all working, of course, for Mayorkas. The fact that these people are teachers, engineers, and doctors, as I wrote in my piece, doesn't give me any comfort. During the 70s and 80s, there were a number of terrorist groups, the PLO, the Palestine Liberation Organization, headed up by Yasser Arafat, a similar organization, the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, that was begun by a guy by the name of George Habash. George Habash was violent. He staged hijackings and killings. This guy was a sociopath. And guess what he did for a living? George Habash was a pediatrician. He was a doctor. The more educated your adversary is, the more dangerous they are. Back in 1998, Diane Feinstein, 
participated in a hearing held by the Senate Judiciary Committee, of which she was a member. And let me just check. I've got a message here. I hope you can all hear me. Bear with me one moment. Lost my audio. Okay. Great. Well, hopefully we're still continuing. There's nothing here to indicate that um, that I'm not hooked up. Hopefully we are. We'll find out at the end of the program. We will see. Um, but anyway, forgive me for the interruption, but one of my listeners, uh, Dave, just texted me that he lost my audio. I don't know if it's at his end or on my end, but hopefully uh, you're still hearing me. Uh, we, we will push on. The, 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 the bottom line for what we're trying to do, wait, let me just see if, let me see something. Oh, yeah, no, we're good. I think we're good. Hopefully we are. Um, okay. The reality with, with all of this, if, uh, hang on one moment. I'm just trying to, hopefully we're still, we're still broadcasting. Boy, this system drives me crazy sometimes. Hopefully we're, we're still in business. Um, so they're telling you, well, because these people are professionals, you have nothing to worry about. Well, Feinstein made the point that many people who went on to commit acts of terror got training in physics and biology and so forth, and she argued against providing that sort of training to people who come from countries that sponsor terrorism because of that concern. So we have no idea who we let in. There have been follow-up reports, by the way, <clears throat> that in fact we don't know who we let in. And then we get to this really <laughs> incredible article, um, and, and, and the article that we wind up with is how the FBI is now being given extra money, or at least they're asking for extra money, because they are trying to find all these people that we let in. I mean, imagine that one. The FBI is trying to figure out who is here because they need to interview them after the fact. So how does that give you a sense of confidence that everything is as it should be? We're told that everything was being done to screen these people, and then we find out that maybe we didn't. In fact, the Washington Times reported, and this was on September 27th of this year, is the, the headline, FBI money request signals ongoing problems with vetting Afghan evacuees. It starts out by saying, tucked inside the Democrats' new spending bill is $15.3 million in emergency money for the FBI to investigate Afghan evacuees brought to the United States during last year's chaotic airlift. Congress is pumping the money into the FBI just a month after Director Christopher Wray told lawmakers that the Bureau was having to conduct lots of interviews, that's his quote, to keep track of Afghans and obliquely warned of, quote, a number of disruptions of activities. Lawmakers said that the money is the latest evidence of a hasty evacuation that jeopardizes America's safety. The Biden administration decision to let tens of thousands of unvetted Afghans into our country first and ask questions later has backfired, said Representative Thomas P. Tiffany, Wisconsin Republican. Quote, we warned well over a year ago that this would happen, and two Inspector General reports have since confirmed those fears, but the White House refused to listen and the horses are already out of the barn. 
And now it turns out that the FBI has arrested a translator, an interpreter, if you will, and there isn't even a press release by the Justice Department. Hopeful that Americans won't know anything about this. I mean, after all, the FBI is busy with more important issues, you know, going after parents who attend parents' association meetings in the schools before the school board, the real terrorists, right? I remember after 9-11 how everybody was running around in Washington and elsewhere demanding to know why no one connected the dots. Well, the dots have been connected repeatedly, repeatedly, many, many, many times over. And everything that this administration has been doing on immigration and related matters violates the findings of the 9-11 Commission, violates common sense, violates the law. And if, God forbid, there's a terrorist attack, I want to know what they got to say. If there's an explosion and people die, I want to understand possible excuse the Biden administration will have. Blame it on people other than those who did the attack? Uh, let me just quickly hang on one second, folks. I'm sorry. So that's where we stand. Everything that the Biden administration is doing runs exactly opposite to what the 9-11 Commission said must happen. That everything that the 9-11 Commission says we should not be doing is what this administration is doing. Ignoring immigration fraud, leaving our borders wide open, permitting millions of people into the country without proper vetting. And what I want you to think about is that on 9-11, it just took 19 hijackers to carry out the attacks. The Boston Marathon attack only involved two terrorists, San Bernardino, a husband and wife terrorist team. This is asymmetrical warfare. A handful of people are capable of racking up huge casualties. The first bombing at the Trade Center almost brought one of the towers down sideways, and it's estimated that the casualty count could have been into the hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands. And yet there's no explanation for why we have no interior enforcement from either party. Understand what's happening. And and this is a a clear threat to America and Americans. I, I don't even know how to begin to understand this. I don't understand how Bush could have created DHS in a way that violated the Homeland Security Act where John Hostetler, the Republican chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee at the time, said that what the Bush administration gave us was immigration incoherence, ignoring the 9-11 Commission, uh, basically, leaving our, leaving our country unable to secure the borders, enforce the laws, or protect the American people. How do you justify this? How in the world do you justify it? It's the same insanity. We need tough gun laws to get the guns off the street. How about tough enforcement to get the criminals who wield the guns off the street? When a drunk driver plows into a crowd, nobody says we need car control. What do we say? We need to get the bad drivers off the road. We need to get the drunks off the road. That makes sense. You act against the people who are responsible for the violence. A 
guy who can't get his hands on a gun can get a can of gasoline, although he may have to steal to get the money to be able to buy some gasoline these days at those prices. If that doesn't work, an assailant can come up with a hatchet, uh, with whatever. There's no shortage of ways to kill people. So you wind up, So you wind up with, with, with crazy supposed solutions that don't work. If you can't keep Americans safe, what's the point to the government? A government is supposed to be a, an instrument by which a country looks out for its own citizens. Public safety, national security, public health should be at the very top of the list of priorities, and they're not. Now, let's go beyond that. We're flooding America with millions of people. I understand that Fair just wrote a report, the Federation for American Immigration Reform, that said that Biden has led in over 5 million illegal aliens. 5 million. Think of that number, 5 million. My goodness, takes my breath away. We have no idea who they are or where they are. But look at the impact. We're hearing so much about how the COVID lockdowns have caused test scores to plummet in unprecedented ways around the country. Our kids are not getting the education that they need. They're not being prepared to be successful adults, which is what school is supposed to be about. That's why you go to school. It's basically boot camp for adulthood, to have the skills, the tools to be a successful, happy American. And everyone is saying, COVID, it's the lockdown. I'm sure the lockdowns played a huge role, by the way. Make no mistake. But is anyone looking at the idea that maybe part of the problem is that we have so many foreign students in our schools who are unable to read, write, or speak uh, the English language so that they flunk the tests? Has anyone looked at the possibility that by flooding all these foreign students into our schools that resources that should be used to help American kids, especially American children with learning disabilities, the money is drying up? We're spending more and more money on English as a second language. Do you think maybe this is having an impact on test scores? Think about that. No one's talking about it. Biden was on with Jay Leno the other day, and he was talking about the drought because of climate change. Well, we can have that debate. I'm not going to engage in that now, but here's the point to consider. Everyone is in agreement. Maybe we disagree about why, but everyone agrees there's a serious drought underway in the western half of the country, a serious drought. Water levels are dropping, right? Dead bodies are showing up. People who drowned God knows how many years ago were finding corpses. The water is going down. And what's the solution? Biden brings in millions upon millions of more people. Even while we're having problems with water, problems with the power grid, CNET just did a report about how the, the power grid is woefully inadequate, especially with everything going on. So we're going to have all electric cars, all electric buses, all electric trucks that need the power grid. The power grid's not up for it. And if that isn't bad enough, let's add however many more people, millions of people, who need electricity, who need water. I did a little bit of digging around, and it's amazing, but the average person needs roughly 100 gallons of water per day. 100 gallons of water per day. So if FAIR is right and Biden let in 5 million people, that means because of Biden, America is going through 500 million gallons of water per 
day. Let that number sink in, 500 million gallons. 100 gallons per day, 5 million people, do the math, that's 500 million. That's a half billion gallons of water per day. How does this make sense? Where is the benefit for America or Americans in this nonsense? That's the simple question. That's the question that you should be having a discussion about with your friends and your neighbor and family members. That's the question. Explain how this is in our best interest. Why is this good news? Why is it good news that we have allowed in millions of people who are not properly vetted, who have a huge environmental impact at a time that we're being told about sustainability, the green movement, this is nuts. Where is an ounce of good news in all of this for the average American? The president should be able to confidently get in front of the cameras and say to the American people, I am doing this, folks, and this is why this should make you happy. I dare you. Tell me how this should make anybody happy that we are flooding America with millions of aliens who have no inherent right to be here. This isn't an anti-immigrant position. Every year, America permits roughly a million-plus aliens to come to America with green cards. And what does that mean? They are immediately placed on the path to U.S. citizenship. That number, one million, is more than the rest of the world combined. We do that now. I'm not sure what the numbers were last year because of COVID, but prior to COVID, it was around 1.1 million um, immigrants came in with green cards on the path to citizenship. Plus, we admit tens of millions of temporary visitors, what we call non-immigrants, tourists, foreign workers, journalists, clergy, and so forth, foreign students. Tens of millions, more than the rest of the world combined. So now we're going to add to that millions of people not screened. What could possibly go wrong? Where is the good news? Where is the good news for Americans? We're dealing with incredible inflation, unprecedented inflation, at least for the last 40 years or so. Realize that everybody who comes here needs food, needs clothing, needs shelter. That's inflationary. You're increasing the demand. When you increase demand and are unable to increase supply, the price goes up, supply and demand. It wasn't that long ago that the headlines focused on the lack of adequate amount of baby formula. You bring people in, they have children, or they have children, they're going to need baby formula too. How does that help Americans who can't get baby formula for their infants? Again, I keep coming back to a very fundamental question. How do these actions and policies benefit you, me, and your average American next door? Why would we do this? This has never been done to us before. We've always had an issue with politicians bought and paid for by the lobbyists. Go back to what Washington said about the parties and unscrupulous politicians. But we've never seen anybody literally blow the doors off the hinges. And in the middle of all this, we're facing hostility from Russia, North Korea, China, the fentanyl crisis, other drugs pouring across the border. And then I love it because you have politicians, especially on the left, and what do they say? Nobody is above the law. 
and they wag their finger at Donald Trump and they say, aha, he broke the law. Nobody's above the law. Nobody wants to talk about the Democrats who've done similar things, Hillary or any of that. And I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to get into it tonight. Whether you like Donald Trump, don't like, I don't care. Justice is supposed to be handed equally. That's why Lady Justice wears a blindfold. So that if you're speeding down the highway, the cop can't take your race, religion, or ethnicity into account. You're going 50 miles an hour in a 30-mile zone. This is what the ticket is going to be. They don't look at you and they go, oh, well, this guy is going to have to pay $3,000 for speeding, and this other guy gets a slap on the wrist. No, that's not justice. It's supposed to be what's known as a presumption of regularity. No matter who commits the offense, justice should be equal and proportionate, right? If you really believe nobody is above the law, I want someone to explain sanctuary cities to me. Aliens enter the United States in violation of our laws, thereby undermining national security, public safety, public health, and the jobs and wages of Americans. Those laws are, look at Title VIII, United States Code Section 1182. It's crystal clear why we have those laws. It's about protecting American Americans. It has nothing to do with race or religion. So you have aliens breaking the law, and the very same supposed prosecutors and politicians who say, no one's above the law, come to my state and we'll give you municipal ID and we'll give you welfare and we'll give you free clothing. And Wait a minute, didn't you just say nobody was above the law? And then we're told these people need driver's licenses so they can go to work. Well, I started out in the beginning of my program saying, well, wait a minute, they're not supposed to be working. If they're working, they're taking jobs that should go to American citizens and lawful immigrants. Why are you facilitating their ability to work when this hurts Americans? You're supposed to be looking out for the average American. They've got to get to work. No, they don't. They're not supposed to work. When I was a new agent, if I found somebody working and they came in on, let's say, a tourist visa or a student visa, unless they were granted authorization to work, we would put handcuffs on them. I kid you not. They would be arrested. They'd spend the night in the detention center, most likely, and they'd see an immigration judge, and probably by the end of the week, they'd be back in their home country. That's why we have different categories of visas. Otherwise, what's the point? What's the point? If you're here as a tourist, you can't stay more than six months, and you can't work. Period. There's no conversation. You're not supposed to work. End of story. If you did work, there had to be a consequence, and that's where the administrative side of the immigration laws would kick in. You're working. You don't have permission. You're under arrest. Lock you up. You see the judge. The judge more than likely is going to say you need to go home, and we put you on an airplane and we wave goodbye. And don't come back because if you do, you're committing a felony. Very simple. We're serious. We don't want you working, and if you do, we have the right to remove you from the country. And how many politicians are now saying, oh, well, they need a license so they can drive, right? And how many people on the right, the conservatives, will say, well, I don't care if they're coming to work, but I don't want them on welfare. You don't care if they're coming to work. No, of course, you want them to work so you can pay less to people. That's the game that's been played. So we come back again to how does this help the average American? And the answer is it doesn't. And then we come back to the wisdom of George Washington 
who oppose political parties. Because all that these politicians basically have to do is appeal to the party, and then the party gives them money for their campaigns and so forth, and they're off to the races. If there were no parties, and you vote for someone to be a congressman or a congresswoman, that person knows there's only one way that they can stay in office. The people in that district have to vote for them. But the party steps up and says, we'll give you money. Wow. I don't think the system has ever been more corrupt than it is right now. And Joe Biden, with that glib, you know, ability that he has, uh, you know, the, the, the aw shucks kind of, come on, man, you know, that whole routine, come on, man. And, and unfortunately, people fall for it. People fall for it. How in the world does any of these actions that he and his administration are taking benefit you or your family or your neighbors? Uh, it doesn't. And there's nothing wrong with saying America has the capacity to only admit a certain number of people. If you were going to throw a party, think about that. You have to figure out how big is your dining room and how much money do you have to buy food. That limits how many people you can invite. Visas are no different. And then you have Mayorkas, and I think I touched on it last week. It turned out, because I was on Newsmax, this was one of the stories, it turned out that Mayorkas knew before he went on television that the Border Patrol agents did not whip anybody on the border. Remember that whole controversy, and Biden got out there, we're going to get you, and uh, this never happened. The reporter who took the pictures, because the emails have been, you know, retrieved through freedom of information. Biden knew it was a lie. He's such a talented liar. He should get an Academy Award, don't you think? Mayorkas knew damn well. And Mayorkas said, we're going to get you. This was a way of intimidating every immigration officer in the country to not do the job. Don't do the job. We don't want you arresting anybody. Forget about the fact that the laws are there to protect national security, public safety, public health, or the jobs and wages of Americans. Who could be opposed to those laws? I think it's impossible to be imposed, opposed to those laws. But you have politicians who have been bought and paid for by lobbyists, perhaps other countries. I look at Swalwell and his relationship with that Chinese a spy, hooker, slash, whatever. How is he still in Congress? If I was found to be cavorting with an intelligence operative from a, a country hostile to the United States, I probably would be happy if all they did was fire me. I'd probably find myself in front of a grand jury, but not Congress. They're above the law. They are above the law. They suffer from the do-you-know-who-I-am syndrome. And when I used to get people that came into the airport when I was an inspector, and they'd say, do you know who I am? Very imperiously. I'd look them in the eye and say, yeah, you're a schmuck. And you just proved it to me by asking that question. Do you know who I am? But they really do believe they are above the law. And no one has done anything to prove otherwise. No one's above the law? Really? They are. Sanctuary cities provide sanctuary to illegal aliens. Millions of illegal aliens are above the law. Okay. Mayors who, who come up with those policies are violating Title VIII United States Code Section 1324, 
that deals with aiding, abetting, encouraging, inducing, harboring, shielding, and transporting illegal aliens. So they're violating the law. And what happens to them? Bupkis. And when sheriffs and other officials refuse to honor ICE detainers, and there's precious few of those now, I promise you, tragically, what happens? Nothing. They're violating the law without consequences. And then you have these politicians who have the chutzpah to stand in front of the cameras and pound the podium and say, no one's above the law. No one's above the law if it's a political opponent. But if you're on my side, if you're operating in furtherance of the narrative that they've created, come on down. Everything is just fine. So let's get beyond the nonsense and the lies. Let's sit down with our neighbors. Elections are coming. This is a very important election. Very important. America stands at crossroads. Our immigration laws are not racist. They're designed to protect us. It's not antisocial to lock your door at night, especially when the police warn you that there are home invaders and burglars wandering around your neighborhood in the dead of night. Think about that. It's called common sense. It's called self-defense. We've allowed ourselves to be bullied for far too long. It's time to stand up and say enough. People say to me, Mike, doesn't it bother you that people accuse you of being a racist because you want immigration law enforcement? And my answer is very simple. I'm not a racist. I know who I am. And if they want to make false accusations, they can knock themselves out. I remember my parents telling me, if your friend said that you were a chicken, if you didn't jump off the roof, would you jump off the roof? And of course I wouldn't. There's honor in nonconformity, especially in this day and age. Think about that. There is honor in standing up for what you believe in. That is the American way. That's the job that all Americans must do. Please share the link to my podcast. Hopefully it recorded. Uh, we've got technical difficulties going on, it seems, today. Hopefully this will be there. Check out my articles and share them. Share them. Elections are just days away, and truth is power. We need to empower our fellow Americans and engage them, not in fights and arguments, but conversation. Facts are stubborn things, and democracy is not a spectator sport. I thank you for joining me. Hopefully you heard me, or you will hear the podcast. And I look forward to seeing you again next week, right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Have a great weekend, everybody. Stay safe. Be well. See you next week.